You may have noticed that we don't usually have a missions conference. Um, we don't try to put our mission connection with our global missionaries uh, into kind of one weekend. Instead, we, we try to connect year-round. It's really important for us to try to pass on things and, and connect information. And it just seems like summer uh, is one of the times where God blesses us. And whenever we get a chance to connect with some of the people that we support, uh, people that are our friends, people that God uh, made us love, and then let us like have to learn how to let go so that they could just take some of that love other places, um, we, we just want to give them a chance to share a little bit. So uh, Jeff and Jillian are some of those people that we love so much. And uh, we've, we've just had this privilege of, of getting to be part of their life. And so I, when Jeff told me they were going to be in town, I'm like, dude, you got to at least give us an update and uh, tell us kind of how things are, are going. So he's going to come up and he's going to share with you some of that. I've known Jeff, at least, let's call it a decade. And, you know, um, so, yeah, 15. Wow. You're going to make me sound old. Because uh, I am. But, um, and then, we, you know, the better part was getting to know Jillian. Because, you know, Jeff was one thing. But then getting to know Jillian through the whole part, that was like a real score. So uh, we really loved getting to know them. So, Jeff, why don't you come up and share? I don't know if Jillian's coming up. It's not that she, okay. So we, you know, but I, I just figured probably Jeff would end up uh, doing this. So share with us some about life and about ministry and how those connect. Yeah, thanks okay? so much. Thanks, man. Actually, I'm reminded it was 15 years ago this month that I moved to Wyndham in 2004, just before my junior year of high school at Wyndham High School. So I was new to the town, and this was the closest church to where we lived, and I just came and it really just changed my life to be here. Um, and so I, I basically did grow up here uh, for most of my spiritual life, too. And I was reminded even this morning what Paul writes to Philemon. He says that I have derived much joy and comfort from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And that's my heart. I'm just so refreshed and comforted by your joy and love to see um, faces, uh, familiar and new faces, um, who have gathered here to praise Jesus here in Wyndham, Maine. So I'm really happy to be here. I'm overwhelmed with joy to be here um, with our family going, you know, uh, just reminiscing uh, as we go through town and see the little changes that take place uh, over time and some things that never change. Um, so we're really blessed by that. And uh, I want to give you an update on our ministry. First, I want to show you a little video of what's coming up next in our ministry, and then I'll tell you all about it.
lived in Montreal now for a year and a half. It was about a year and a half ago that we moved up on December 1st to the West Island neighborhood of, of Montreal. And we found ourselves in this neighborhood that is very diverse and uh, very different than where we had each grown up. But God had put on our hearts um, this people group. And Caitlin, if you want to put up the first slide. Two years ago, when I was standing here, all I had in my mind was a vision of people that I would come to know. But they were blank faces, names that I haven't known yet, but people that by God's grace I believed that I would meet by divine appointment, people that um, we would meet next door, people that we'd meet in the neighborhood. Um, I had a vision for evangelism, discipleship, and church planting, not knowing um, who I was actually going to encounter. And so you can show the next slide, Caitlin, but now those faces and names that I at one point never knew are now very close and dear to me. And I bring them in my heart to you guys because you are there with us. You're a part of this with us. And I get to know these neighbors. But I want you to know that you're there with me and I think of you often. And now those names and those faces that I could only at one point two years ago imagine, now I know them and I've gotten to see them hear the gospel. I've gotten to see them grow in their relationship with Christ um, over the, the past year and a half. And uh, yeah, these are just a few of them. Each one of these pictures has a story and there's three times as many um, relationships that um, couldn't fit on, in these slides but, uh, or in the time to share with you. But basically, I want to tell you what the past year and a half has been like and what the next years forward are going to look like. When we arrived in Montreal, I started as a pastoral apprentice with our church downtown, our mother church. And so I have some roles in my training um, in leadership with the mother church. But during that year and a half, we've lived on mission in our neighborhood with this personal ministry for evangelism, which is just sharing the gospel with um, people who have not had the opportunity to hear about Jesus. Um, so we've done a lot of that work. And to my surprise, I, um, we've really encountered more and more of our Muslim neighbors than I expected, um, which is really a blessing. That's, um, that uh, context has really grown a lot in my heart. We've grown in discipleship, just um, walking with people in their faith, getting people connected to the church and growing in their relationship with Jesus. We've seen a lot in the past year and a half. And uh, all of this plays a part in a vision for church planting. Because as people encounter the gospel, as people meet Jesus, and as people grow in their relationship with Jesus, we want to call those people to gather weekly, to be shaped by God's word, and to live their lives growing in the gospel, growing a community, and growing on mission in their neighborhoods too. So that's the next step, is church planting. And we are being sent by our mother church now to gather a core team uh, over the next year. We're going to be gathering a core group to meet regularly so that um, a year from this fall we'll be, we'll be planting a church. And the video that I showed you 
is just a taste of the context where we want to see that church saturate this neighborhood. So Cloverdale Village is the largest public housing cooperative in Canada. There's about 4,000 neighbors there from all over the world. And our vision for reaching that neighborhood is to have a Christian individual or family in every building of Cloverdale Village who sees themselves as a missionary, the missionary to their building. Because what Cloverdale Village doesn't need is English-speaking, North American, white Jeff. What they need is neighbors who have lived in that context and can demonstrate and declare the gospel even better than I can. Neighbors from Ghana and Haiti and Nigeria and Pakistan um, who can speak the gospel in their context better than I can. But God has given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, not to do the work of ministry. So I believe that there are neighbors in that neighborhood and in our neighborhood. Some of them know Jesus already. Some might not know Jesus already, but they will be the future pastors and evangelists and shepherds and teachers in their neighborhoods. And so right now, that's the work that we're doing um, by being present in meaningful ways in that neighborhood. We're meeting these neighbors, we're sharing the gospel, and we're training them up so that they can share the gospel even better than I can. Um, I'm reminded even just by this opportunity to go help out the, the high school, those are exactly the kind of ways that we are getting involved in the community, being present in meaningful ways, um, taking opportunities like that with gospel intentionality. And through that, the doors just open. I received a text this morning from my city councilman to call him to talk about doing a neighborhood party this month when we get back. These are just normal things that we can do. We thought of having a neighborhood party. I wrote him an email. He said, sure, I'll help you. We'll, we'll block off the streets. We'll give you some money. We'll have a party. Um, these things are at our disposal if we go out and reach um, in the Lord's name for our neighborhoods. So I want to wrap up with a, a few prayer requests. Pray for these neighbors and this neighborhood. Um, as you remember us, please pray for these neighbors that God would open their eyes to the gospel. If you think of it, even especially the Muslim context, that they would really understand who Jesus is as the Messiah and the Son of God. Um, pray for future leaders in this church plant and more current leaders in this church plant as um, we shepherd the, the people of the neighborhood um, together and as people grow in their relationship with Christ and on their mission uh, together. Um, and part of that is with the future of planting a church, especially in a poor context, means that uh, the Lord is going to need to provide not just for our support to be there, but for the ministry to take place. And we want that to be um, really carried by the local context of Canada and Quebec and so pray for the people of Canada and Quebec to support church plants like this in our area. And finally, I just want to share with you, um, we can, I can share more stories as I connect with you throughout the week or today. But I want to share, share with you just an example of some of the cool stuff God has been doing. And get to brag about just what God has done that I could never do in my own creativity or strength or anything. But let me tell you about this, this guy I met, Abdullah, who's really close in my heart. 
I was coming off the train one day in my neighborhood, coming from downtown to the West Island, and I had my headphones in, I was coming back from the office, and I could tell in my peripheral someone was like trying to wave me down, and so I turned to say hi, and it was this young guy who had gotten off the train but at the wrong stop. He meant to get off at the stop before me, but he was reading a book and got distracted, and he didn't know how to get back. He was new to Montreal, he'd never been on this train before, and so uh, I said, sure, I'll help you find out how to get back. New next train was coming in 10 minutes. So we talked about what he was reading, talked about why he's here in Montreal. He's from Qatar. And uh, his father is apparently the manager for the Prince of Qatar. Um, and this kid is here, doesn't have many friends. I, at that time, I didn't know why he's here in Montreal. But he's going to school. And... Uh, I said, well, let's keep in touch. I got to share with him a little bit of the gospel at that train station, but I said, let's keep in touch. And he said, I love that. Um, and then that night, a couple of friends and I were going to get together at a restaurant. And I just thought, I wonder what Abdullah's doing. Let me send, send him a text. So he said, sure, I'll come meet up with you guys. And so my friends were okay with that. And, and he came. And just getting to see three um, Christian guys get together and have a good time is something he's never seen before. He was, he, he described to me last week, he's like, seeing Christians and observed Christians is like me looking at animals in a zoo. I'm like trying to describe what these people are like. <laughs> it, was in a, it was in a nice way. But <laughs> that night, he had hundreds of questions. He's like, yo, you guys got to have a podcast or something. I could just keep asking you questions. He said, Man, if someone was sitting here and had social anxiety, I just don't, I think it would just go away because you guys are so awesome. And it's not us. It's Jesus with us and in us and through us that Abdullah got to see that. So a couple months passed and we were going to have a, a baptism picnic at a beach just like you guys are going to have. And so I said, that's a great environment for someone like Abdullah to come and just see what's going on, see what we do. And uh, so he came. He got to meet more people. And he, he said to me, he's like, normally I would look at, you know, just Christians playing, throwing Frisbee in a field, and I'd think they are so lame. You know, if they're not drunk or high, they're not having a good time. But you guys actually love each other. So he's getting to see the gospel being demonstrated just in the way we live our lives with love. And that's what Jesus said, is they'll know you by your love for one another. And that's what this man is seeing. So just a week ago, this past Sunday, I was preaching on Acts 10, where the gospel comes to the Gentiles for the first time. And I, I thought, man, that's a great sermon for someone like Abdullah to hear, where God gives this vision to Peter about going to eat unclean food, which represented him associating with the unclean, the non-Jewish people. And so I told Abdullah to, to come, and he's like, all right, I'm going to come. And uh, after that sermon, I caught up with him, and uh, the gospel was clear. And Abdullah, he said, man, he said, it's like you were speaking right to me. He's like, what have you been stalking me? How do you know about my life? 
And uh, I said, yeah, well, what does that mean to you when Peter says that there's salvation in no other name, that God sent Jesus to bring salvation to the Jews and the non-Jews? And he said, well, as a Muslim, I'd say, and I stopped and I said, no, as a person, what would you say? And he kind of skirted around the issue. He's not ready yet. And so pray for someone like Abdullah. He's seeing the gospel. He's hearing it. But only God can open his eyes. And he would be amazed to know that there are people in Windham, Maine, praying for him. But God hears those prayers, and he acts on those prayers. So please, um, take up Abdullah. I found out that he is in Montreal because he could no longer be in Qatar. Qatar is a Muslim country. Um, it's, a, it's a strict Muslim country. Abdullah has a, a lifestyle that's not welcome there. He's gotten to drinking and smoking, and, and for one, that's not allowed. He's also told me he's um, bisexual. His sexual identity is illegal there, and he would be executed there. And so he's living in Montreal with his aunt. But we want Abdullah to encounter Jesus and for his whole life to be transformed. And that's just one. But each one of these pictures and more has a story like that where God has brought divine appointments. And I want to remind you as you pray that you are there with us. And I appreciate that so much. And I cannot wait to see what God is going to do with a church plant like this where people are on mission in every part of this neighborhood. So thank you guys. I pray for you often. Jeff, thanks so much for sharing that with us. You know, I, I, I don't know about you, but as I'm listening to Jeff share, one or two things real quickly go through my heart. First, keep praying for Abdullah. Uh, I've, we've had the privilege of going up, being part of that neighborhood, going out and getting bagels, uh, seeing, driving around, getting a feel for, for that neighborhood. So pray for them. Second thing I was thinking, Jeff, is just, I hope that some people sat there and went, man, I wish I could live a life like Jeff does. But you know what the problem is? Is we don't have restaurants here. Oh, wait, no, we do. Well, we don't have neighbors here. Oh, wait, no, we do. I mean, don't you see, like, as Jeff was sharing, didn't, didn't you kind of think for a second, like, wow. It wasn't like he launched into this four-point apologetic attack on his Muslim faith. What did did Jeff do? He saw a guy who had a need. He didn't know where to go on a train. And he was nice. (laughs) Right? Wouldn't it be amazing if more of us looked at maybe the place that we live, the neighborhood we live in, or maybe the place that we work, and what if we looked at that and just said, God... There's, there's a bunch of people here. Could, could I actually be like the missionary to this group? You know, could, could I live with a gospel intentionality here for these people? I have a feeling the answer is yes. So thank you. Thanks for sharing. We love you guys. Uh, we're proud of you. As a church family, we're just so excited to get to be part of your lives. And uh, so we really, really appreciate that. I want to share a little bit this morning uh, on communion just because uh, it's important. Brief, but I want to just remind us 
um, why we celebrate the Lord's Supper together today, because that's something that we're going to do together. Um, so let me, let me read this, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then I want to just share kind of one key thing about the new covenant in there, okay? So uh, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 17. The Apostle Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, the inspired Word of God, the very words that God wanted to breathe so that we would know who He is and what He's done and who we are in Christ and, and how that changes our lives. Um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to begin at verse 17. He's, he's writing this and he, and he, says, um, he says this to us. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Now, isn't it nice when a guy starts out and says, you guys are not doing well here, okay? But don't we need that in our locks? We certainly do. He says, I don't commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Now, what are they coming together for? Let me remind you that the church uh, that we talk about today didn't own a building that most people talk about as the church until about 400 years into the life of the church, okay? So you didn't own church buildings. Uh, they would meet in, in some of these kind of public areas, but they would also meet in people's homes, all right? So let's listen to this. He says, in the first place, when you come together as a church, what's the church? The church is not this building. The church is who? It's the people of God, right? He says, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Well, we're going to find out a little bit more about those divisions are, but he says, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. He says that there's an in and there's an out. He says there has to be some divisions because there are some people who really are the covenant people of God, and then there are other people who, uh, like Abdullah, are not yet. So we, it's, it's okay to understand that those divisions exist. But then in verse 20, he says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What was happening here is they were meeting in people's homes, and part of that celebration was to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And when they got together, you had people, Christianity just went across all the social boundaries. So you had some people who were rich. And you know what happened if you actually had money? You didn't have to work every single day of the week. Or put it the other way, if you didn't have money. Many of those who followed Jesus were those that were slaves. Many of those that followed Jesus were those that the culture did not look highly upon. They were slaves, or they had to work, and they had to work seven days a week, and you had to work hard, and you didn't get to have overtime, and you didn't get to any other things. That was the culture of the day. But what had they done? They decided, again, as the church to come together to share a meal together in someone's home, and they would meet in different homes throughout the area so that they could grow together, so that they could encourage each other, so that they could reach out together. And part of that was to actually share the Lord's Supper. Now, when they were sharing the Lord's Supper, remember, this is a really important time together. This is a really important meal together. But it had become kind of so normal that what was happening was some of those who were wealthy were coming together, 
and they had a nice meal. And they brought it over maybe to Mike's house, you know, and, and Mike and Emily's house, and they're sitting around Mike and Emily's table, and Mike and Emily, maybe they still were at work, but they're at their house, and these people are sitting down going, well, I'm hungry. And they would eat, they would start eating. And then they would think, I'd like a drink. And we're going to find out that they would start to drink a little bit. And they would actually get drunk while they were waiting for the other people from that church to come together. Now, others who had come together came out of work. They didn't have any food. And yet, when they sat down at the table, instead of sharing that with each other, they were actually just uh, sitting there hungry. And, and the church wasn't functioning as a church. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. This was not just like a couple crackers and some juice when we talk about the Lord's Supper. This was a meal. This is a sharing. This is like for some of you, maybe Thanksgiving or, or Christmas, where you get together with some of the most important people in your life and you share a meal together. And he says, when you get together the way that you're doing it, he says, that is not God honoring. He goes on in verse 21, for he's for an eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another goes drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do, you not, or do you despise the church of God? And do you humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? No, I won't. So Paul's led by the Spirit to tell them what you're doing isn't right. But then he goes on and says, Let me remind you, what you should, how you should think. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is one of the reasons that we are a Baptist church. One of our key symbols is to partake in the Lord's Supper with regularity. Now, there is no biblical prescription that says how often we ought to do it. We've decided as a church that we should do this at least once a month together. So that's something that we do. And there have been times where we've actually organized and we've said, okay, everybody show up here. We're going to have a big meal together and we're going to incorporate the Lord's Supper into that meal. It's not practical to do, though, once a month, okay? Um, <clears throat> but it's still important to take this symbol and remind ourselves that Jesus is saying, this is my body and this is my blood which was given for you. Let me read one or two more things. We'll look at one thing here quickly. And then we'll, uh, we'll go to the Lord's Supper together. But I want to remind you of what this term, the new covenant in my blood. Did that catch you? When you heard Jesus sit there and say, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I would hope that you sit there and go, oh, yeah. But I have a feeling that just like most of us, we might sit there and go, okay, there's two words. That, that's what I know. <laughs> There's two words, new and covenant. I don't know really what that means. I want to I look at that uh, specifically. But let me just read this other part here, verse 27. 
This is where some of us have grown up. We've learned this, and it's important for us to know this. The Apostle Paul, again, led by the Spirit, says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the blood, the body and blood of the Lord. This is one of the reasons why we always remind people that we believe that, you know, that this is a, a symbol for people who are believers, not for those who are trying to make up their minds. So, you know, for Abdullah, this would not be uh, the right context for him. Uh, but it's also then a really important warning for us, isn't it? That's why we evaluate. So he says in verse 28, let a person examine himself then. And so eat the bread and drink the cup. So this is why sometimes when we have communion, what we do is I have a group of, of servants, okay, uh, deacons with a small d, they're servants, and they come up and they bring these elements to you the same way that Jesus was a servant and brought these things to others. There's this massive symbolism to having these men up here delivering these things. But it also builds in this really great time for us to examine. Why? Because as we sing, as we pray, as that happens, as you wait for them to come serve you, we have this time to examine ourselves. And that's really important. But that is not the whole thing. When we do communion the way that we're going to do it today and our station's set up, there's another emphasis that comes. It's more like what the Apostle Paul is talking about here, these smaller groups. It's these connected people. It's people that we can talk to. It, it allows us uh, to see that we are not alone. And that's another way that we take communion. And that's a little different maybe than some of the way that you grew up in. But we also find that to be very important. So Paul says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone, verse 29, who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's our concern, right? We want to come to this. We want to be properly prepared. And he says the reason, verse 30, that's the reason why many of you are weak and ill and some have even died. To approach, say, in, in, in a wrong way, to enforce and embrace sin instead of turning to this new covenant lifestyle that God's given to us can really impact you more than just maybe a way that we look at and think just it's just spiritual. This actually can have impact on us, even in our own physical. But, verse 31, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Even if I come to communion and I realize, wow, I have got an issue with somebody, and I need to make that right. This is something that's wrong inside of me. There is sin inside of me. I need to get that right. At that moment, I'm not going to look up and be like, wow, look at how perfect I am. Instead, I'm going to look at it and say, this is a problem. But if I'm willing to agree with God and make things right in that, he's saying that judgment doesn't destroy me. It actually helps me. It serves my faith. So communion for us is critical. Let me just 
pray for us. Let me share with you a couple of things, and then we'll go forward. Father, help us today as we look at this, because we realize that one of the great symbols of our life together is this Lord's Supper. Would you just help us to be teachable and open and listen to you? I pray it in your name. Amen. Um, these symbols are, are critically, critically important. And uh, next week I'm going to point out a story to you just so that you'll, you'll get it back from 1531, which would just help us to understand that the church has always seen these symbols as critically important, so much so that many leaders inside the church, many lay people inside the church actually gave their lives. They actually died to defend baptism and the taking of the Lord's Supper. Their lives were taken from them for those two things. Sometimes today we can see these as less important. I don't want us to see these as less important. What I want to ask you to do is go back now to Jeremiah chapter 31. And don't be afraid of using that little index that you have in the front of your Bible. Okay? If you need to look there, there's a table of contents and you can go through it and you can find Jeremiah chapter 31. Because I asked that one key question, what is the new covenant? What's Jesus talking about when Jesus says, this is the new covenant? Because what I would like for us today as we come to the table is to be able to think through this what is this new covenant? It's encouraging. It's life-giving. It gives you hope. It fits right with where we've been in Romans. So Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. So that's kind of nice, right? 31, 31 through 34. When Jesus said, this is the new covenant, I really believe that this is what he was thinking of. Okay? Verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Ooh, there we go. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I had made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, so when was this? What was the first covenant? What was that, Diane? Yeah, so this is the, the, the Sinai covenant. This is, the, this is when God took them out um, and, and saved them from Egypt. So that included the Passover. That included uh, all of those plagues that came, right? And God took them out of slavery and rescued his entire people and brought them out and said, you are now my people and I am going to share with you how you should live. Do you remember what was the physical picture? What was the thing, the, the way that God communicated how they were supposed to live? The Ten Commandments. Who said that? Somebody was right on with that. Nice, all right. So the Ten Commandments, right? And those are known as the... Okay, the old government or the law, right? There's this, this sense to which we sat there and we had it written down to say, this is what you should do. What was the result of that? God said, I brought them out by the hand out of the land of Egypt. And he wrote it down and they saw God's power and they were set free. And what did they do? It says, 
my covenant that they broke. So what was the result? Even though God spelled it out as clearly as he could, even though they saw God's power, what was the end result? God's people broke God's covenant. And in fact, notice the term that he uses here. He says, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So this pictures Israel. This pictures God's people as an unfaithful wife. Do you think, God, do you think that's a mistake by God? That's a very intentional term, isn't it? It's not only used here. We don't have time to show you the other ones. It's not only used here. But what picture does that evoke for you? Okay. Church is the, the bride of Christ. We're going to find that out, right, in this, in this new covenant. But what kind of term would come out if you sat there and said, you broke the covenant with me, your husband? Divorce. Divorce adultery, right? Brokenhearted. You, you think about the, the relationship there. This is not just this, this kind of like, oh, who cares? This is a, this is a deeply, for, for those of you who maybe have been divorced or have walked through this, you know how difficult and how painful this is. So this is not just some term that God kind of threw out there. This, this here is to sit there and say that first covenant, man, that was broken, Okay? Then verse 33, though, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. He's talking about a time that's coming 500 years in the future, right where we just were with Jesus uh, as, he was, as he was talking about this, okay? He, when, he, when he talks about this future thing, he says, I will, listen to this, I will put my law within them. Where was it last time? Written on tablets. You had to go back. You had to go read it. Where instead is this law going to be now? And when it's written on the heart, is that just like a tattoo? No, it's going to be so deeply ingrained into the heart. Like it was written there. That's different, isn't it? He says, I will write, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is different than what he just pictured with this unfaithful people, this broken relationship. Instead, what do we see here? Here we see this deep love. And they shall no longer, and verse 34, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. The poorest. person who has a learning difficulty. The, the person who doesn't have the money or the history or the family or the background to be accepted. The person with a disability. He says, from the very least to the very greatest, they shall all know me. And then he says, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. 
So what does God say in here? Number one, God promises to forgive their sins. It's the last thing he says, but it's the most important thing that we have to recognize first. This is why Jesus called the cup the new covenant in his blood. Because Jesus knew that he would die to pay for that. Jesus knew that his, uh, the blood of the new covenant is what he said in Matthew 26, 28. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, by his death, becomes the whole basis of our forgiveness. And this new covenant says that you and I, though we're sinful people, though we're broken people, we can be forgiven. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, there is hope and forgiveness available to you. That's what the new covenant is saying. That's what we're saying to each other as we take this. We're reminding each other that we are sinful people, but we're forgiven people. Let me also remind you, though, God promises to write the law in our hearts. Like we said, instead of on tablets, instead, there's this new covenant, and God would put the law of God on us by his Holy Spirit, and he would make God's will our delight. The problem with the old law, the problem with the old covenant, is it told us how to live, but it didn't give us any power to be able to live that way. But what Jesus is promising here, what God is promising here, is that the Spirit could actually make us love doing what God wants us to do. So to pour out our life for our neighbor, instead of being a mental task of something I'm supposed to do, God says, I will rewrite your very heart so that you love to do it. The third thing God promises that all of the covenant people of God shall know God. Everyone in the new covenant, everyone knows Jesus. There are no spiritual grandchildren is one of the phrases that people use. God doesn't have spiritual grandchildren. He has children. And they all come to know God. They have a relationship with the Lord. They trust him. All of them. Not just some of them. They trust him. They believe in him. And then the fourth thing is, God promises that he will be our God and we'll be his people. When we see our sins forgiven, the will of God becomes our delight. And we know him personally. At that point, we become his people and he becomes our God. All of his infinite wisdom all of his unlimited powers on our side and works for us. All of his greatness and all of his beauty comes to us and becomes our greatest joy. He is our all-satisfying God, and we become a truly satisfied people. Remember a few weeks ago we used the terms, not merely human. This new covenant promises us that we become Truly, truly human. So that's what we're celebrating today. That's why we come together today. So what's going to happen is Josh is going to come. We have uh, three stations, I think three. Um, and uh, so 
um, is there three? Is there another one back there? Okay. So we have three stations, and uh, there's bread, and there's a cup here. So what we do that's different today is we encourage you as we sing, take time to reflect, take time to evaluate, to see where you are. When you're ready, don't come alone. Come with others. Gather with others. What we usually do is we take a piece of bread, it's gluten-free, and we drip it, dip it into the cup, and then we take it and we gather just in kind of smaller groups throughout the place. And we pray together. We remind each other of this new covenant kind of love. If someone has a need, they can share it with that group so that they can pray for them. When we get done with that, we kind of go back. We continue to sing because we're so grateful to God for all that he does for us. Then we'll sing one final song. We'll take a deacon's fund offering and we'll go, okay? So uh, I encourage you, again, this is for those that know Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus. Um, and, and I want to just encourage us on that, all right?